are. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> All right, welcome to Pleasant Evenings Book Club. Uh, it's a literary podcast where we read and then do a podcast. Uh, my name is Roberto. <laughs> I'm joined here today by Hannah. Hey. And Corbin. Hi, thanks for having me back. <laughs> it's like that very professional. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, it's good. We're so we're yeah. Get this NPR pattern. Yeah. Uh, our our this correspondent week... in the field. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cool. Oh, we, yeah, we, we gotta have to find... have Corbin doing man on the street interviews. Yeah. Just investigative book club journalism. Right. What do you think of the king in yellow? <laughs> have you seen the yellow sign? Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this week, um, the people who know will know. This week. Or I guess the people that look at the title will know. We're doing uh, Robert W. Chambers this week. We're reading The Repair of Reputations and The Mask from his short story collection, The King in Yellow. Um, do you want to go into like any any sort of introductory details about that? Uh, so obviously this was like in um, this was in direct influence of H.P. Lovecraft. He uh, it's pretty well documented. Um, but uh, beyond that, like um, it was written in 1895, or rather published in 1895, and uh, it's a collection of short stories. My understanding is that um, despite there being like, I guess, 10 stories in the book, only the first four or so are considered the relevant part relative to, you know, sort of what's considered the mythological king in yellow, you know, that's the, the, the eponymous. <laughs> is, that, yeah. is that correct? Yeah, I think it's called the Carcosa mythos. Like speaking of like influence right. on on Lovecraft, this I'm not gonna say the first, but this was def this was an early thing in the weird tradition of mythos or having something to call right, mythos. Right. right. And this definitely sets quite a precedent for the things that would, you know, later become sort of that weird fiction genre. Um, it's got all the, it's got all the hallmarks and <laughs> having read Lovecraft first, I definitely feel like, um, you know, you, you can see the, uh, you can see what he has stolen. Not in a, not a bad mm -hmm. way, of course, but a, a fake book. That's a real book. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. There's right, shades yeah. of Necronomicon. Oh yeah. And of course the book causes madness, you know, <laughs> <laughs> of course. But what else I happen? like this, though, because the name of the book that you read is the name. Like, there was never a Lovecraft book called the Necronomicon. Obviously, that's, uh, you know, that's pretty yeah. clear. There's, there's but, a fandom thing. Right. There's you can hold a copy of The King in Yellow, at least relative to, you know, books that you can own. So, but yeah, I guess there's the Simon <laughs> Necronomicon, but that's that's for a different podcast. That doesn't count in, in this yeah, yeah. Say. <laughs> it doesn't count, yeah, right? Um, oh, there's a little fun fact about Chambers, looking into it. Um, when Pot when um, Lovecraft uh, wrote about him, he um, he's saying like he should have promised. He had like a, a couple of good stories, but then he went into an unfortunate direction. And I was wondering what that was. Apparently, like, so he does this, he like, um, blazes this trail in weird fiction and supernatural horror and in the like the back half of his career he mostly wrote like romances 
I sort of, um, I, I had thought that the second half of this book even sort of leaned more into that, but oh, that that's the, the mask. I I saw I saw tones of that. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. That's definitely true. I I I really liked uh, those elements in the mask. Um, I like I I thought that in fact like that's the reason that some of the later books in the collection were less like you know had less to do with uh, the king in yellow uh, the character was because they were like more like romances uh, like I, I have a summary here um, an atmospheric tale of an artist in Paris who is drawn to a neighbor's room by a cat is the, is is one of the stories it's called the Street of the Four Winds uh, you see what I'm saying it's um, hmm. Yeah, there's a story towards the end called The Street of Our Lady of the Fields uh, about a romantic American bohemians in Paris. <laughs> you know? Uh, this is just from Wikipedia. But I guess our plan had just been to read the to read the King in Yellow sort of stories, you know what I mean? The ones that are sort of linked, but who knows? We could explore the rest. It's uh, certainly within reach. Yeah, I, I like his, his style. Like, um, like, I guess we broke the seal on it. Like, the mask. Yeah. Like you, like you think it's gonna go like really dark, but it stays in this uh, like dreamy, like gothic romance kind of space. Oh yeah, I thought that was I thought that was a really beautiful. Story. And albeit for as a romance, it was still dark too. Like it still maintained <laughs> a tragedy of mm-hmm. poor poor Boris. Like I feel like a, I feel yeah. like any good romance has to have some tragedy, right? So but, yeah. yeah, that's true. And, like, coming in from, like, where he's, like, whatever, like, his background, right? Like, he is, like, this comes out in 1894. So, like, he's not too far removed from, like, the Brontes or... Right. You know, or Shelley. Or Crowley, for that matter. I I, I was noticing... You know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Dracula came out pretty... Oh, Dracula's more straight horror. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it could have gone in, in, in either direction. Also, like coming off of, like I, well, it will. I guess we we'll, we we'll jump into the story soon. I say on the mask, like coming off of repair of reputations too. When the King in Yellow story comes out in the, like I was ready for our, like hell to break loose. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly true. I um. I was drawn in, uh, did you guys read the poem at the beginning? Do you guys have that in your copies of this? I think in my in, copy it's, like, untranslated French. It, just, it was in French for me as well. Oh, really? Okay, okay, it's on Wikipedia. I can read it. So it somehow it rhymes in a... Oh, oh, at the beginning of the Repair of Reputations. I mean, at the very beginning of the book, there's a poem. Oh. Uh, in the I had the missed... epigraph. Oh, I don't have one of those in mine. Oh, okay, okay. I can read it. It's on Wikipedia, too, if you guys want to pull it up, but I have it in my book as well. I, I thought it was funny, though. I just, I couldn't... It, um... To me, it sounds like Frank Sinatra lyrics in the funniest way, because it's a... Uh, okay, okay, okay. It's, it's a... Uh, Along the shore, the cloud waves break, the twin sun sinks beneath the lake, the shadows lengthen in Carcosa. Strange is the night where black stars rise and strange moons circle through the skies, but stranger still is Lost Carcosa. Songs that the Hyades shall sing where flap the tatters of the king must die unheard in dim Carcosa. 
Song of my soul, my voice is dead, die thou unsung, as tears unshed, shall dry and die in Lost Carcosa. And that's supposed to be from the actual King in Yellow play. Uh, it's, it's wow, that is beautiful. Casilda's song in the King in Yellow, Act 1, Scene 2, which is of course a fictional book, so, you know, it's interesting to get those little mm-hmm. glimpses. Uh, yeah. I, I like the inserts of, of them during the uh, stories themselves, too. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm no. sure that there's people that have taken a crack at it, at like fleshing out the stuff in between. But those those little glimpses are very well rendered. Right, and I don't know that I'd like to see the stuff in between. I think it's better as these sort of surreal, disjointed sort of scenelets. I it'd be hard. I, I feel like anything else would like amount to fan fiction in a way. <laughs> yeah, straight. Yeah, but that's maybe just I don't it's know extended extended cannons right 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 well i guess in this in this area there's a lot of that you know what i mean like um essentially like all of lovecraft's followers were just expanding his canon you know and like love like yeah he invited people to write in the mythos right so to be very within the spirit of the scene they all reference each other you know what i mean I, i think even carcosa if i recall correctly is not chambers's but let me try to verify that yeah, it was some other guy. Uh, Ambrose Beers. Ambrose Beers. That's a guy for, for a future book club. Yeah, I don't know who that is, but we should check him out based on that. Uh, his book, The Devil's Dictionary, was named one of the 100 <laughs> greatest masterpieces in American literature by the American Revolution Bicentennial Administration. Wow. I, th- I think with a lot of these guys, there's just some liking of the word, you know? Like... Mm. Carcosa to me doesn't has never actually called to mind like a forbidden city. It, it just to me sounds like a place in Spain or something. You know? <laughs> I think they just like the word. Yeah, you know? Carcosa. There's like a tropical yeah. vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. It does. It does sound a little tropical. Um, there's, I guess, there's water imagery. I was gonna say it makes me think of a beach, but they mention a lake. Where did you all picture that that place is taking place at? Car- Carcosa. Without poem, like, like it could be anywhere. Like, I could even like believe it's in, like in some kind of dream world, or right. you know, like Middle Earth, you know, like with the twin suns. The aesthetic that I think I've been conditioned to like ascribe to this is probably something just like Erythil of the Boreal Valley. You know what I mean? That's just how I envision <laughs> it. Is like sort of like a shadowy city of of twin suns and mm-hmm. like a Gothic architecture. Those buttresses are flying for sure. <laughs> right, right. I think it's um. I think it's just a direct predecessor, though. Actually, to like uh, you know, what is it? Lovecraft sunken. Uh, what is it? Realia. Is that how? Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess just non-Euclidean geometry, whatever that means, <laughs> and, and and two suns, and and just a vague, dreamy spookiness is kind of how I was how I was piecing it together. Yeah, like, the, the Dark Souls thing, like, also, like, the King in Yellow is, like, the biggest deal, but, like, it's, he's dressed in tatters for some reason. Yeah, yeah, that's very Dark Souls-y, too. I feel like everything we, we talk about touches on Dark Souls, but I, I think that speaks more to us than, uh, than to literature. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, not, you know, obviously, like, I'm guessing Hidetaka Miyazaki, like, I know he's a fan of Lovecraft, you know. Oh, he'd have to be, because of... Yeah, Bloodborne. Blood... Yeah, right. <laughs> it's probably all over but i mean that's such a like the vibe of like that like um 
that solemn like decay right that, that fallen kingdom Ooh, angel angel egg is another film that we watched uh, or another you know piece of media rather that we consumed i guess relative to this conversation that had that sort of vibe i i don't know i definitely imagine oh, some yeah. some architecture where we are you know what i mean definitely so as you said there's yeah. definitely buttresses and they're definitely flying like a repair of reputations. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the trigger. Get us get us in on the store into the story. Uh, do you want to try Corbin? For repair of reputations. No. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll try it <laughs> out. So <laughs> how does it open? It it opens, g- giving us the for us historic but for chambers at this time it was what the future united states the future looked like and uh-huh. I, to give a gross summary manifest destiny is achieved and this version of the united states achieves um this great prosperity now i i don't, I don't quite know why it happens in in this United States, but the government had decided to legalize and sanction suicide. Yeah, <laughs> right. I guess like um, influence Lovecraft and also Futurama. Yeah, right. suicide yeah, chamber. Exactly. exactly what I thought of was Futurama. <laughs> yeah, it's, it came right to mind. Yeah, and it's in it's in this New York City that we're introduced to. Our main character. Uh, it's some Hildred, I think. It's, Hildred. it's something that does Hildred. not ring like a name. Yeah, Hildred, yeah. We're, we're introduced to some of his background. He is recently released from an asylum from Dr. Dr. Amber Ambrose? Ambers? Yeah. Uh, who was, was convinced that he had gone insane after paying his head falling off this horse um Heldra is not convinced of that and you know he, he thinks he's sane but that after falling off this now dead horse that he has ignited this ambition to become the next king of the United States and apparently there's a whole long imperial lineage. And in order for him to obtain the crown, he has to convince his cousin, um, Louis, to step down from that. Because the current heir in his mind is Louis. And in doing so, partners with the repairer of reputations, whose name is Wilfred, I think. Classic sane people shit, I just want to say. <laughs> totally sane. Right? Classic sane people shit. Yeah, I know. You know. Me and the boys just be insane on, yeah. on, a, on a Tuesday, right? <laughs> yeah, like he's got like he's got like a like a mentor kind of relationship with this crazy guy that just like lives alone with, with a cat. With his- with this feral cat too that will 
that claws his face and attacks <clears throat> this this poor old man, this poor old mentor. Right. They described like it's not just like that the cat's bad. It's like the guy, like at least he's described by 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 a narrator as like like he likes to like taunt the cat and like provoke it into attacking him. It's almost as though he likes it. <laughs> like this I is mean, play type. He's got no fingers, it should be noted, so he's clearly a masochist. Yeah, he's got no fingers, okay. he's got two fake ears. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he just wants to be able to feel something with what he's got left, you know? Yeah, just a uh, bit of a uh, adrenaline rush after losing your ears. Like, what a character. Like, if you want to wrap up, maybe we'll like go back, like... He's described as, like, such a weird guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So these two, mind you, perfectly sane in their view, people begin to initiate the overthrow of King-to-be Louis by attempting to kill his fiance and... Right, like I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't quite know what their next steps were going to be after that, but um, <laughs> I love how vague it gets as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> ultimately, the fiance Louis survives. The feral demonic cat ends up killing the um, mentor figure at the end, and we see our narrator ultimately being arrested by the police and brought out in chains with um, tears from the the cousin's um, fiance. And that that's that's my gross summary. Right, yeah, it should be noted. I guess we didn't we didn't like touch on that in the summary. It should be noted the the reason that it's it's mentioned that our friend um, Hildred has read The King in Yellow, you know, and that uh, I, this has been a major event for him, you know. He seems to have some, like, anxieties relating to it and all of these thoughts he has about, uh, you know, this prophecy he thinks he's fulfilling are sort of tied to what's contained in The King in Yellow, um, you know, at least according to him. Uh, so that's, that's how this ties into this story, in, in case that wasn't... Uh, mentioned but i i was uh, i was confused by that initially because i i was distracted by this falling off of a horse yeah no he, he fell off a horse and then like after his hospitalization or like during his hospitalization that's where he found the book but either way he's not into that. writing anymore yeah 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 there is a sense like yeah there's a sense of like a like a uh like an like an almost like spiritual like break or delusion for for this character. Like he decides like he was just like a layabout, someone to just like, go around town, and he became more ambitious after his accident. Right. Yeah. Um. But it seemed like I... yeah he had like before, like getting really into the King in Yellow. Um. He seemed to have like emotional connections. Like he seemed to be really close to his cousin Louis, which, by the way, like what a nice guy. 
Like it really felt <laughs> like cousin Louis cared about him. Yeah, I, poor poor cousin Louis. I, I think the most horrifying thing in this book was like the cringe I felt like watching an insane person interact with somebody who literally just wants like their well being. <laughs> I was like, oh, like yeah. this is hard. <laughs> I didn't realize it was gonna be this kind of horror. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. So clarifying, like the way he went insane with the king in yellow is that. Like, there's an implied mythology with the king in yellow being at the top of some kind of hierarchy. And Mr. Wilde had written a document called, like, the History of the Imperial Dynasties of America. So when he when Hildred goes to Mr. Wilde's office, his house, he goes straight to this document. And he goes through the lineage from, from Carcosa and the Hildes... Master and the Hyades, yeah. Like eventually going down to, down to him and his cousin. I wanted to, I wanted to ask. Unless you had a mm-hmm. thought, um, how do we feel going back to I guess uh, Mister Wild, right? How do we feel about the fact that he he seems to be a little bit right about some things? Right? Yeah. I, because I, there's this whole subplot that we haven't really touched on yet where, um, Leo's wife, his name is Leo, right? His, his cousin, Louis, Louis, Louis's, Louis's wife or, uh, right. wife to be. Yeah. Is, um, I guess the, the daughter, is it of, of a blacksmith that lives below Mr. Wilde? Is that, is that, am I understanding? Yeah, an armor. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, um... He, I guess, has, like, an eye for, like, rare suits of armor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, my understanding is that um, the, the Hildred, uh, the narrator, pays them, you know, a visit pretty often, because he's this sort of, like, weird, um, like, he's a little envious of his cousin uh, over, uh, over, um, over uh, Constance, Constance maybe. there. Yeah, yeah. I, that's clear just from the way he talks about her. I, I guess they never, like, lean into it very heavily, but it's, it's pretty yeah. clear. And, I mean, um, by then, too, he's already in on, like, this, like, Game of Thrones secession intrigue in his own head, too. Right, right, right. And um, so it seems like he'll kind of go over there and uh, just to see, you know, under, under the guise of sort of, like, hanging out really quick before he goes up to see Mr. Wilde. And he'll just sort of, like, I don't know, say weird shit to them that he thinks is maybe impressing them. But then he also says, like, stuff like, I, I don't know, like... um like, Mr. Wilde has no need for your money and things like that. But one of the things that he does is he um, tells uh, the, the armor, whose name, um, Hoburg, Hoburg mm-hmm. of, uh, of the location, like, very specifically, of, like, the, yeah. the arm piece, I think it is, of, like, a, a rare and treasured set of armor. And he's like, yeah, it's just in the dump, like, like, like 20 minutes from here. You just get on the, get on the subway... You'll be there in no time, you know? And I, I it ends up being correct. And yeah. I, I, I don't know what's... You know, it, there's a lot of, like... um, You know, in Lovecraft's work, for example, like if I were to contrast, right? Um, any ambiguity that is presented, like the horror is is not in the ambiguity. It's, it's in that the person that's experiencing the ambiguity is, like, trapped with their reality of it, you know? Whereas, like, when I read this, I'm like, what is going on? Like, is this real? Is this fake? Like, there's no no actual truth to, like, 
whether yeah. or not the king in yellow is at play here because of that single fact that like somehow this Mr. Wild knows the exact location of a rare suit of armor, like one missing piece that has been missing for mm-hmm. seemingly what generations or something. I, I feel like there was a brief yeah, history. Like centuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The prince is emblazoned. I guess is the suit of armor. So yeah, I. I, it, I, yeah. I I think it does a really cool job with the ambiguity there. In that, like, I think, like, one thing, I think that's one of the ways that the near future aspect of it makes everything wonky. It, once you're in the not, you know, not present real life, like, you know, more things are, like, to the reader are possible. Mm-hmm. Um, like, yeah, but, that's true. But there is room, like, these people do love, you know, Hildred. Like, Louis is very patient with his with his madness so it's possible they're just like mm-hmm. string you know they're just going along with what he says oh like hey buddy i went there and i did find that piece of armor you were talking uh-huh. about Although thanks it, for the hell <laughs> yeah well, is, is that <laughs> there's is that room helpful? for that well when someone's in a psychotic break you're not supposed to tell them that they're crazy i mean you saw oh, really yeah because <laughs> then they'll then they'll be more resistant to help Oh, yeah, yeah, that, and, makes, that follows. I mean, you can see point. how Hildred, like, all of this speaks to, to how it might be true, that Hildred is very sensitive to people thinking he's crazy. Like, right. he hates that word. Whenever Louis says anything that implies that they don't believe him, like, he notably, like, he makes a point to, right. like, be offended by that. Yeah, I guess... I guess what I'm really teasing at is that, like, lo- like in the Lovecraft stories I've read, um, the world in the novel or in the story might think that the narrator's insane, but but you don't. Here, I'm not so sure he is sane. Yeah. You know? Like the whole thing is like wholly more flibbity floppity. You know. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> yeah. Like Even, I feel the like, way the world a... feels about him. There is another layer where y- y- you know you could say like any. Um... You know, like any state hierarchy, like takes some form of madness. Um, another layer is that there's just like enough crazy people that, like, um, like Mr. Wild has a lot of people that he has that he has influence over. Mm-hmm. Um, so like maybe he just has a lot of so it's possible that Mr. Wild just like has access to like what all these people tell him are in each dumpster and stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, but I guess following up on that, what are we to make of his influence? Like if this guy really has some kind of influence, he can't be that mad. Right. I mean, I guess barring the Donald Trump's of the world, but <laughs> like, it just seems like, uh, the way people fall all over him. Yeah. I, I mean, they provide like a real example. I mean, isn't there a guy that essentially murders someone for him towards the end there? I there is two name. guys. It turns out he didn't um, follow through with it. I'll, oh shit! Because at the that. end, you see Constance and uh, and Hoburk. Um, oh yeah. But even before that, when he's talking about his repair of reputations business, like someone knocks on the door, and Wild and Mr. Wild like yells at him. Well, I, I get the impression that he's Mr. Wild's old old man right mm-hmm. so i mean just just by having enough time he could have a network of people that has his back 
Yeah, there was that one. There was that one scene too, where he's out on the street and like a a, a homeless beggar like comes up and he gives him some money, and then another one comes up and doesn't have money, so he gives him like a piece of paper with the yellow sign on it. And <laughs> and, and the the beggar looks at it, not quite sure what to do. I think he folds it. Does yeah. he like fold it up and he, put it in his pocket? Like it's really important. Yeah. It's like, TBH me. TBH, that would be exactly what I would do. I'd be like, oh, fuck. Like, this is a powerful <laughs> hex. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Wiseman. <laughs> I, I would bow, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, like, who knows how many people? Like, he says he's got a lot of people in his employee, and then, like, maybe there's some truth when he says that. We'll have 5,000 people rise up, and then by the next day, 20,000. Might even be a bigger number. Right. Like, who yeah, knows I, how many people... Yeah, that people... part tripped me out. Yeah, that was, that was also very Donald Trumpy, where I was like, look at the size of my crowd. Nobody has a bigger crowd than me. I, to me, I, I didn't believe any of that, to be fair. Like, I, again, I, I, I'm so on the fence as to what I think about any of these people. You know, I, I guess... Uh, Lewis and uh, Constance and Hobbrook are all pretty, pretty set in stone. But yeah, there's a. I mean, there's a degree like. It could just be like the sheer power of this book to drive people crazy, and then the scary thing mm. is like, what if enough people went crazy in a coordinated enough way? Right, right. To to actually bring in the the reign of the king in yellow or what have you. Yeah, like right. it's not too far from. Queuing on people thinking that Robert Kennedy's gonna come back, right? Like, yeah, angry. there is a certain, there is a certain like modern day. Yeah, I you know I'm glad we teased this out because when I first read the story, I, I didn't see a whole lot in it. But like when when we talk about things like that, it's kind of like oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I know this is a but, stretch, but like I thought it was so weird about the near future thing, like because of the time. Um, you know, I'm not sure how the writer felt about it, but he's basically describing, um, America as basically, like, a Prussia-style, like, military, like, police state. Um, like, talking about their colonial conquests. How the Cuban and Hawaii investments paid off. Something about the exclusion of foreign-born Jews really stuck with me. I mean, I don't, I don't know if we can say that no, on we YouTube, know why, maybe. <laughs> we know why Lovecraft <laughs> was such a fan. Right, yeah, you love that. <laughs> there was something else that that I thought was racist. No, uh, yeah, the um the um like the black people colony or something. Like he said, like all the black yeah, people it was a were country. Like, in Swanee. Uh, like made up a made yeah. up a country. I don't. Swanee's not like a real place, right? Before I get canceled, like no, it's something <laughs> that shows up in like that period of of racism. Swan- I'm not sure what Swanee's in reference to, but I know like that's a song in Porgy and Bass. Well, let's uh, um, maybe maybe do some research on this before we decide <laughs> to keep or unkeep <laughs> what what we talk about here in this particular segment. Yeah, either way, it's just a it's just a reference to the racism of the time. Yeah, they're all racist. They, you know, this everybody knows this. Yeah, I was doing some research about about this. It turns out Robert Chambers might have been anti-Semitic in real life. But it seems like such a wild <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, something about the exclusion of... Uh... <laughs> Foreign-born Jews. Um, I, right, but yeah. it seems like such a wild thing that I would believe it too if that's like meant to be some kind of... Um, 
like satire. That's a good point. I mean, honestly, that's. I mean, the the characters like Louis, of course, he's in the army, but Hildred, like, they seem to be proud of the idea of having a strong state. Like, there's also that right. line of like the world like was crumbling and America stood above everything. I, I guess to ask rather brutally, what what was the deal with those suicide chambers like? Oh, oh yeah, I guess I, I, I guess we would, should get on that again. I, I, I thought they would play a much bigger deal in the story, but it was just part of the background. That's part of... I, I um, love it. <laughs> I kind of love uh, it. If we're going to go into the thing, you know, as satire of a certain, like... Uh, you know, political mindset or whatever. Like, they talk about, like, clearing out the Italians from that neighborhood. And, like, oh, now they got rid of the Italians. What? How about a place where you can kill yourself? Right. Like, so, like this society is just about removing undesirables entirely. <laughs> oh, shit. Duh. That's... So this story about mental illness uh, features a society that removes undesirables entirely. Like, duh. Uh, there it is. There's that moment, too, where, like, they describe a guy as having a weird-shaped head. It's, like, the type of head that people, that you'll see in people, like, in The Insane or something. Like, like there's a weird, like, uh, um, what's the name of that pseudoscience where you take the calipers on people's heads? Phrenology? Oh, God. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And... Yeah, like, part of the plan was, like, when they have that guy, Vance... Oh, that's another thing, I guess, to talk about is, like, just, like, talking about, like, the way he builds the scenes. Like, he walks in, like, he walks in, he's looking for... For the cat. And doesn't find him. And then the Mr. Wild tells Vance to come out, and he apparently he was just in the shadows the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Right, like, he was looking around the room, and he just, like, looked right over him or something. <laughs> like... I mean, you're looking for a cat, not bands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a cat. That's selective that's blindness. That's the problem. He was really after that cat. Those scenes are so funny. Like when he's like trying to hit the cat to like, he's like, "I'm gonna." That's it. I'm killing the cat. And like he breaks a, he breaks a cane trying to hit him. I, I wondered if <laughs> yeah, he were that crazy, was the cat him like externalized or is that? Like, I, the, the ending where he comes in to, like, where he thinks it's all done because he sent Vance to kill Constance and Mr. Hoburk. Yes. Um, right? And then he he gets Louis to say he renounces the crown. What, what am I renouncing again? <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. Oh, Louis yeah. is such a good character. What a guy... I, he's like, right. yeah, okay, I renounce it. And then he sees, like, then he sees out of the corner of his eye, Vance, like, rush into the suicide chamber. And he's like, oh, it's done. Which I don't think it was, like, ex- established that would be part of the plan, but maybe it's cleaner that way. Right. Um, I think my favorite part about that whole interaction between him and Louis is, like, the way that he makes him read the whole fucking, like, <laughs> the, the whole fucking document, and then he just, like, looks at him like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's the first moment where I start to, like, be sure that dude is insane. I'm, I was like, oh, okay, so this is, there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. Like, 
there is oh there is that one moment like louis response seems to be just like oh damn my cousin like is he's out of it like he really needs help um but earlier when he when he brings up to constance and mr hoberg about their real identities like they seem troubled by it in a different way going back to like what's you know how you know like oh shit he's right yeah (laughs) is there some of that i must have picked up on that like they talk about like constance's face like go like going into like showing some kind of distress well i guess they were fugitives is what he was accusing them of oh right yeah i mean they're i know they're they're like he's part of the reason why Louis's marriage to Constance would be a problem is because it would bring England into the whole mess. Yes. But yeah, I think like he says like some like damn. But like who knows? We like can't get we can't get the British involved. <laughs> not a, not again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not again. Yeah. Oh yeah, he did some exclusion of uh. Sorry, foreign born. Oh. Right, but anyways, uh, uh, like Vance runs in, he get Louis, he he gets Louis to to renounce the crown, like he starts running out, and also Constance's out of the picture, and now Louis like, you know, like they're both racing to the place, but he runs right past where Hobbert and Constance would be, and he goes into the into Mister Wilde's, um, place. Kills like he goes in like just to grab his crown and uh, and some silk robes, and like he kills a cat with his knife or like he says like he hears some scurrying and stuff like I wonder if there's room for for Hildred to have accidentally stabbed uh, Mister Wild. That's why I thought it was possible. Yeah, that or Vance. Oh yeah, <laughs> like Vance just like had a snap. They also that's true because like. Um, Mr. Wild like has this um thing with the cat, but he but he also is so mean to all these people that do everything he says. And every he time he mentions it, every time he mentions it, Hildred is like, "Oh, aren't you afraid they'll assassinate you or they'll kill you one of these days?" Yeah, <laughs> he does say that. So yeah, who knows? Like there might have been a whole other like, um melodrama happening while he was with Louis. He's associated with so many people, used to say. <laughs> That's an interesting story. I, like, I, I thought it was, like, a really fun read, and, like... Oh, yeah, really. <laughs> oh, but, like, the way I the, really enjoyed it. I think there's something, like, the Monster Wild is also such an, such an interesting character. Like, the way that he's mean to everyone, the way he's mean to the cat. Right. I almost feel like he could have been utilized more effectively before his death, you know? Yeah, there's <laughs> like, definitely potential. Like one more big <laughs> one more big Mr. Wild blowout and then uh <laughs> and let the cats have him. Yeah, I think there was I mean there's something to it like in their in their sense of grandeur. Yeah, I mean right. they're they're definitely greedy. Like they're they're gonna serve the king, but they're gonna be getting it seems like the entire continent. No, the hemisphere. Right. The whole hemisphere? Just for them. It's so dope. Totally normal thoughts. Yeah, totally normal had, thoughts that normal people have. I think you had mentioned crime and punishment before. I mean, the way these characters 
in React is very reminiscent of Russian literature. Like in the in the dialogue or just in, in the in the dialogue and in their presented psych their psyches, I guess. They're 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 well crafted. Yeah, for sure. Like the, the I think they have like very like precise relationships and like what they talk about seems to be like it doesn't seem like they have shallow conversations. No, it's it's a it's a believable conversation that you know I, I had noticed before in either the idiot crime crime and punishment notes from underground. Yeah, and like um, I think like what those have too is um, like notes for the underground crime. And I can't, I haven't read the idiot, but um, it's also like the way that these people are so like enmeshed in their worldview mm-hmm. that like like their 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 dialogue is filtered through like their ideology or just like their sense of order in the universe. It's 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 like tra- it's trapped up in it. Um, but yeah, do you want to move on to the mask? I think it's probably about time. Speaking of trapped up characters. Um, yeah, I like this one a lot better, personally. Say that right off the bat. Um, I'm waiting to see how the conversation goes. Like, looking back, like, Repair Reputations is, like, it, it feels like a throwaway joke at first, but it's pretty dense with, um, with details. Like, even the, the joke is good. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we've been able to tease a lot out of it, but I, I, I bet, I don't know, I just feel like, um... There's so much more per, per page in the mask, I feel. But maybe that's just my initial... I, I guess, yeah, I guess we'll see as we discuss. But, um, anything else? Any other any other introductory thoughts? Uh, not both. I, I find them kind of hard to compare. Tonally, they're just so <laughs> different. Right, right. That's certainly true. I like, yeah, I like the story a lot. It, it's like, um, more local... Uh, smaller stakes, but it's you, you get invested in 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 the mask, right? All right, yeah. Do you want to go ahead and uh, summarize it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll try to I'll try to keep it brief. Um, so I think um, you know, it, it sort of opens. Uh, you know, well, I I guess first of all, I should mention it. It opens from another with another quote from the King in Yellow, the you know the play. Um, and I really like this one. I I think this one's a lot. Um. Very interesting. So um, it's it's read as like a play. Uh, there's dialogue between two women and a stranger. Uh, that's Camilla and Casilda, and then an unnamed stranger. Uh, so the first line, Camilla says, "You sir should unmask," and the stranger says, "Indeed." And then and then Casilda says, uh, "Indeed, it's time we all have laid aside disguise, but you." And the stranger says, uh, "You know, I wear no mask." And then uh, Camilla, I guess, uh, turns to Casilda and says in a terrified voice, like, no mask, no mask. Um, yeah, I really like that. I think that's swag. It's, 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 it's based. Anyway, um, I, I think that's just so, um, 
Uh, I, I also think, though, that it, like, echoes something Poe did. I, I'm just, I can't remember the story, but uh, is it the, um, the the Mask of the Red Death, where the, there's nothing under the mask? You know what I mean? Is, is the bit in that? But I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I read Poe. This sounds right. But, mm. yeah, it's it's the one that's, like, a metaphor for the Black Plague or something like that. But I, I can't. That, I, I don't even that one is the Mask of the Red Death. Is it? Yeah. Um... Isn't there like, isn't it like there's a guy at the, at the, what, what is it? The masquerade? Is, it, is that not the same kind of? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm remembering it now where they see the, where they see the guest that wasn't invited or something. Or they realize something weird and yeah, they go to unmask him. Okay. I guess this uh, has a similar vibe. Just this little quote at the beginning. It's, it's weird to pick this apart so much, but it hit like a bullet. So I, I wanted to, I guess, spend a minute on it. Yeah, it was a, um, it's a neat, like, it makes you wonder like like how that would be um set up in the story but it is it is like a scary a scary moment like this idea that someone would be expecting a mask and there isn't also makes you wonder what they're seeing right. what kind of face they're looking at i i thought the mask reference in, in this poem felt more psychological not necessarily psychological but more like communicative what like what uh what face are you going to carry with this group of people i mean in the story oh in in the opening poem okay so you took it as more like psychological than like literal yeah i I guess i just immediately viewed like a masquerade but I, i could see how that would make sense too yeah i couldn't i couldn't even i couldn't imagine the context a masquerade makes sense or is it like some kind of rendezvous like we have all laid aside disguise but you yeah that's true too like um like it's a heist and everybody takes off the mask at the end <laughs> but then one of them is just exactly exactly what they appear and the other thing that's spooky is that in repair reputations they uh they talk about how like about like the nature of the king in yellow being this thing that drives you crazy but is like this uh, has a sublime beauty that like draws people in how oh, there's no like rule right. broken and that the first act is much more normal before the second act really hits you yeah yeah no i remember that vividly and um the 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 little uh segment that they pull out for in the mask is from scene two of act one and that's like already like a pretty chilling kind of scene so that makes me also wonder like what happens in act two in act two i wonder if we're ever gonna get a quote from act two it would be neat to just glimpse into that window but i don't think we have one i guess i was sort of imagining it as like a kind of like end of evangelion kind of jump (laughs) from whatever the first act is where it's like oh okay so this is all exists in the like the realm of the metaphorical anyway so just disregard yeah, things could um, really go. Disregard this being a play. Thanks. Right. <laughs> but then, I mean, ultimately, like to, um, like whatever mask stuff we get in the story ends up being like what Corbin was saying, just straight up more psychological. Like, definitely not as intense, or intense in a different way. Anyways, it's still pretty intense. That's definitely true. All right, should I just get into it? All yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So the story begins uh, with kind of like a cold open. We're like left, uh, it starts with the line, although I knew nothing of chemistry, I listened fascinated. So we're in the middle of a chemistry lecture immediately, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, what it is, is is more of like an alchemy lecture, uh, literally anyway, but I guess it was 18 whatever when he wrote this. So um, what's being done is is, is living things or organic material are being converted into like marble sculptures um, you know, through the dropping of them into like a solution, which then flashes gold, and then um, uh, you know, and and then a light from the solution in that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, that I guess the light is the indicator that it's safe to grab it out of there. Which I, I don't know why tongs aren't just the default <laughs> for this, but regardless, I was wondering about um, that. Yeah, I yeah I think that would be like a common thought. It, don't though; it ruins the suspension of disbelief. <laughs> there, there were no tongs in France at this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tongs is not a a French concept. Um, but uh, anyway, so um, we're sort of introduced then to um, like the larger context of what's happening beyond uh, this sort of experiment we're seeing, and um, what we find is like a narrator. Um, whose name I actually don't remember for some reason. Do we have his name? Um, we'd get his um, name later. Is it Alec? Alec, yes. Alec. Yeah, yeah, Alec. Okay. So we have our narrator, Alec, who's a, a, a painter, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's involved in sort of like a small community of artists, clearly. Um, the person he's speaking to who's conducting this experiment is a sculptor named Boris, who, um, you know... He is, I guess, renowned in this time period in France. Uh, he's done a, a, a really good carving of, I think, the Madonna is, is his recent carving, um, his sculpture that has done, you know, done numbers, uh, if you will. Yeah, they hit um, at the salon. And for this, his uh, girlfriend and uh, roommate, I guess, has sat in uh, as the Madonna, as the model for the sculpture. Um, and her name is uh, Genevieve. So those are sort of the three central characters, in addition to, like, a fourth peripheral guy named, like, what was Jack. it? Jack. Jack something. Jack Scott, Jack Scott, I think. you got it. So um, what we find is that uh, Alec and Boris and Genevieve all have s- sort of quite a bit of respect for each other. In spite of that, there's definitely, like, a love triangle going on, you know? And the situation seems to be that uh, Alec has sort of respectfully sort of, you know, he, he respects that Genevieve has chosen uh, Boris over him. And, you know, because he's Boris's friend, there's a, a, a an understanding there, um, a commonality, and, and they just respect it and do what they do, which is a lot of art, you know, evidently. It sounds kind of dope. Mm. But... Um, uh, it should be noted, Boris, uh, this famed sculptor, he goes into, you know, fascinated as he is with these experiments, uh, with this solution that converts things into marble, he, he, he makes a separation of, between that and his actual work, and they don't really cross at any point. Um, but we're told he's working on a sculpture of the fates that's kind of unfinished, and something else that kind of sucks or something, I, I can't quite remember. So, he had, uh, you know... They have this sort of like weird uh, relationship with each other where they all hang out in this house and get up to nonsense in the swimming pool or, the, you know, in the, in, the, in the house, whatever it is. Um, but at one point, Boris almost dunks uh, Alec in the solution. And this really presents like a, uh, you know, I mean, 
at this point, what, what's that concept? Is it is it Chekhov's, Chekhov's gun? gun? Is that is that what I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah. At this point, it's clear somebody's going in the solution. You know what I mean? Sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and for some reason, he's keeping all of this in a like a like a like a swimming pool or like a like a I, I, what I envisioned was sort of like a a small bathing pool or something, almost like a hot tub size. Yeah. In, in his like bathing room, you know. Um. And, you know, that seems like a bad place to, to keep it. And I think that's even commented on at one point. But uh, he's as the story continues, they do, like, more and more kind of whack experiments on this with bigger and bigger animals. Like, you know what I mean? Goldfish and, and rabbits, uh, you know. Poor and then um, mm-hmm. at, at some point, I believe it is, um, Genevieve falls a little ill, right? Um, and this sort of changes the story's pace. Um and um because of this uh you know you have a lot of like nervous standing around on the part of the other three characters you know and I, at some point during this um the narrator alec uh picks up and reads the the king in yellow right um yeah when that comes interestingly, out this seems uh right yeah uh but it's like he picks it up and he's like well i'm done with this like he doesn't actually like uh dive in like it's a weird red herring yeah yeah well i question that but we'll, we'll get into that but so then he kind of comes down with a fever you know and he's sick for quite a while i think right like there's no other reason that he's sick if i recall correctly he just gets sick right um when he's sick he has a lot of like really trippy kind of madness dreams about carcosa and all that and at one point, he swears he dreams Boris uh, hanging over him, sort of like leaning over him, whispering something, some message of... I, I, I took it as positive, you know, some kind of, you know, essentially like comforting him I, is how I took it. Um, he wakes up later to his buddy Jack Scott uh, kind of just hanging out in that room, you know? And, uh, you know, he's not well enough to see anybody or do anything, so it takes him a couple weeks to even recover beyond that point. But at that point, he finds out from Jack that um, that Genevieve and um, and Boris are, I guess, both dead. You know, and it turns out that uh, I guess at some point in her sickness, uh, Genevieve went and got in that swimming pool full of shit that uh, you shouldn't get in the swimming pool full of. Uh, you know, the the magic alchemy juice have turned you into a sculpture. You know. Um, which causes Boris to then, and probably rightfully so, I mean, Jesus, it seemed like a bad decision to have this stuff in a pool. Yeah. You know, kills himself. Yeah. Um, This sets off like a, you know, hearing this is not great for Alec, uh, because it should be mentioned, they were all really young, you know what I mean? Like, they were all in their, like, early 20s. I guess back then that meant more in terms of, like, how old you really were. But, right, right. So I, I think it ends up being somehow like like him and Jack end up in control of all of their affairs. You know what I mean? Like the house, the the money, the sculptures. You know, so um, you know, uh, Alec decides to travel a bit because he can't really hang out in that house. He's a little too tore up about yeah. it. And um, it should be noted, Genevieve's body, the, the 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 marble carving, has not been buried. It's just been you know, left in the sculpture room under the Madonna, you know, which is also her, I, I think is interesting. Um, <laughs> but, um, 
So, at one point, like, a uh, dude returns from his travels to find that his friend Jack is increasingly nervous about something. And it's it's this classic kind of insanity we felt from the last story. Like, dude is real anxious about some kicking yellowy shit, you know? It's apparent just immediately. But we never get to it. Because, um... Alec kind of ends up going back home, and, and he, 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 he becomes accustomed to living there, and he decides that he's gonna go check on Genevieve's body one day after, you know, like some enormous amount of time of not going in that room. He goes in and he, he kisses her, you know, on the lips because she's just a sculpture. And uh, then he's hanging out reading or something and the servants start telling him, uh, like, oh, we found a goldfish. Oh, we found a living rabbit. And he's, you know, being a big dum-dum and he doesn't realize what this means. And then finally it clicks with him and he goes running into the other room and there's Genevieve waking up uh, from death. And that's the story. Um, there's a lot more to it to pry out, I think, but that's the 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 bigger, the the, the arc of it. Yeah, there's some stuff at the edges, um, because, like, first the servant, like the servant comes in when he's at the house, and gives him a message from Al from, uh, Jack, that says like, don't leave mm -hmm. the house. Um, like, so he's doing something very important, but I guess he has, he has to send a message first. And then the, the, right. the servant sticks around and, and she's, and he's not sure why. And then the, the, the servant just says that there's like a white rabbit that like, they don't know what to do with it. He's just like, let it go free. Um, but right. it leaves the, but the, um, the initial thing with the letter doesn't get followed up on him. Like it makes you wonder, like, w like what, where is, where is Jack's urgency being pointed yeah. at? We're left with this like uncomfortable anxiety because things are suddenly looking a lot better, but at the same time, there's this unresolved tension. You know what I mean? Like, whatever happy ending the story has in terms of her waking up and him being like, oh, well, you know, what's his face is dead and she probably loves me second best, right? <laughs> so, hey, that's first now. Uh, you know, whatever whatever happy ending you could try to wring out of that is sort of like marred by whatever's going on with Jack, you know? Yeah. yeah our, and, our anxiety is a re as readers and also Jack's relates to Boris ultimately, I, I think. We got that much from Jack. Yeah. Yeah, Jack sticks around in France while um, Alec goes off to Asia, and then they like um, connect by telegram because Alex, he gotta come here. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder if if like Jack is there. I like, wonder if like he he stuck around and like dug into Boris's affairs. Well, so I thought it was it was a dream relating to a conversation that. Alec and Boris were having and Jack just couldn't remember what that dream content was besides that. Oh, again, uh, Jack, like... He, he, was, he was also deeply disturbed when Alec told him that Boris, Boris had stood over his bed in, in favor dream because he was already dead. Yeah. Yeah. And then he brings it back, he brings it back up again later. Like, when the marble thing is imminently gonna be undone. So do you think, I mean, he just, he's, he knows something then is the implication, but then what could he know, you know? I don't, <laughs> like, yeah, something to do, because, like, it's not quite science. Like, I know that, you know, like, science and spiritualism was, you know, was more mixed at this blurry. time. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. But there's that thing with the light, yeah, in the solution, and there's also the aspect of it that, like, all these marble things were made, you know, within, you know, at at least a few days of each other. Like, the lily that gets dunked at first, the goldfish, the rabbit, and Genevieve. Oh, Genevieve might have been right. within hours. No, 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 days. Uh, but yeah. they all get undone, like... Well, I guess we don't know the the full timeline, but it seems like they get undone, like, m- closer together than they get made. It seems pretty contemporaneous of, of each other, almost almost real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. it's hard not to tie it to him kissing her in that, like, really simple, like, Sleeping Beauty kind of <laughs> way, though. Though I don't get... I never got the sense that that was all there was, you know? But, like, it's just... I, I, my first thought was like, oh, was it the kiss? Like, what was, yeah, what was the action? I had some kind of uh, image of Jack like digging up, uh, Boris's grave or something, but maybe. I'm not sure what he would have done right. with that. It it does operate on this sort of just like a like a lovely miracle that happens. Yeah, I had this other thought that you know who like maybe like, no, never mind. I was gonna say like maybe it's just. King in yellow induced madness, but with the servants responding to it too. Right. Well, don't don't limit the king in yellow. Uh, well, <laughs> I think that'd be a dark read, though. So I wanted to ask if you thought that the fevers, like the two fevers, mm-hmm. were tied to the king in yellow. Like, do you think that the book is in some way associated with both of them falling sick? Because um, wasn't there some behavioral weirdness from Genevieve before? Um, before she fell sick. Yeah, there's a moment where she comes in and she, like, acts like he's a stranger. Right. And then a little bit later, she, like, comes back to her senses. Yeah, I wasn't sure what we're supposed to make of that either. Um, like, I, there's a lot of ambiguity, I guess, in both these stories, but, um... I wasn't sure if somehow the King in Yellow played into that. Like, the book is there, and it does seem to be the thing that, um... Uh, you know, other than Genevieve, that seems to be the thing that Alec engages with, like, closest to him getting sick, you know? Yeah. And then he has all these dreams about it, uh-huh. you know? So I, 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 part of me, like, wondered if Genevieve had gotten into the book, too, at some point, and they were just both being influenced by it indirectly, and that's just supposed to be, like, the cryptic hint we take from it, but, again, there's always that ambiguity with, with Chambers, evidently, yeah. so. And there's that thing where, like, what's that book even doing there, too? Like, yeah, because this is like a science and sculpture guy, you know? Yeah, so is that Genevieve's interests? Mm. Or, like, could, is it like be. the ring in Lord of the Rings, which just shows up in places? Like, it somehow wills itself to be in different areas? Could be of interest to Boris. Well, I know we're told that um, that Jack destroyed all of Boris's, like, records and that. I, I My impression was that Boris was just broadly into sort of, uh, like, occulty things, mm-hmm. right? Like, if he was finding, like, alchemical solutions in the first place, you know what I mean? Like, he was probably, like, a little bit on those fringes. Yeah, but he didn't had at any point seem... Right, that science hadn't known about. But he didn't seem, like, insane in that way. Like, if the King in Yellow immediately brings madness, I think the only one with any, like, behavioral disorder um, at any point 
seems to well I, I guess both alec and genevieve exhibit some of it yeah maybe um maybe it's more of a thematic thing where boris is just a this curious guy but he's like you know he's smart he knows when to stick his hand in on the on the thing right so he he's working on that That's and true. that brings genevieve's downfall at least temporarily and he has this book and he might have accidentally you know caused like a car to 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 alec even if it doesn't like play into the story mm-hmm. like it, he just like leaves these things out like um like as an artist and scientist he doesn't realize like the effect that he's having on the people around him oh yeah the implication of just leaving yeah like a book around that like drives people mad <laughs> or a, a, <laughs> pool, a, light a pool of alchemy solution that turns any living thing to marble oh you know i'm gonna uh, uh that's a pr- that's a pretty insane decision <laughs> but he uh but hey you know he didn't have anything else big enough for a uh, for a rabbit. <laughs> right, he wanted to put more complex things. Like he he was pulled into this dangerous thing, even though he knew it was uh, unwise. Like he wasn't gonna share it because, like, even for art purposes, it wasn't like he thought it was. Uh, it was gonna do more harm than good. Right, like photography had done to painting. I think Alec had said. I just thought of something else too. Um, uh going back to repair reputations um they're talking about the king in yellow because the hildred has napoleon napoleon books and king in yellow and they have and he has a little conversation with 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 lewis and they're saying something like and they're and they're talking about it and say i heard he shot himself and he'll just says, my understanding is he's still alive and he'll just and hildred it's a <laughs> Oh wow! Wait, oh no! Napoleon? No, 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 no! Uh, the writer of the King in Yellow. Oh, oh! And then Lewis is like, "Wait, that that occurs." Yeah, they have a conversation. So it's a think... scene where he's in looking like where Lewis catches him wearing the crown. Oh shit! And then Lewis is like, "I suppose a bullet isn't enough to kill a fiend like him." Are we? Are we to think maybe Boris? Wrote Damn, this did book? Boris write the King in Yellow? He could have been a playwright, right? He seemed like a like a yeah. Well, like, I mean, it seems like he might have survived a gunshot, like, <laughs> right? Like yeah, like uh, like it's a fun parallel. Even if he didn't write oh, right. it, I like this idea that the king in yellow like brings out this like you know like this hidden like supernatural element in in reality, you know, and like in circumspect ways. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, like, that that pool, like, it's, you know, like, this story is even more fantastical than than Repair of Reputations, where it, you have maybe the knowledge of Hobbes and Constance's past, we have maybe the knowledge of the, of the, the pieces of the armor, but otherwise it's just, mm-hmm. like, you know, a couple of guys operating in a weird heightened state. Right. But here, like that heightened state gets taken to the point to to the level of of people going in and out of marble states. Yeah, that's true. I like the way he says it at one point, like when he's sort of distracted by Genevieve's sickness and he's sort of troubling on it, like he's having the having some thoughts. 
And then all at once he's like, oh, you want to you see my liquid pool of death? And <laughs> to me, that is like a very... Um, that was a very relatable way of, of like, uh, coping with anxiety. Do you know what I mean? He was like, uh, uh, you want to check out my cool new toilet? Like, <laughs> you know? But I don't know. That- yeah, that one was good, too. I, I still think I like that story better. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. I It felt, um, I don't know. I the, the concepts in it felt newer to me than Guy Goes Insane a little bit. I, it, I think we've managed to tease a lot out of... Uh, repair of reputations but i i don't know that oh, i still think i i still think i like uh the mask better yeah i think i i, I guess i appreciate repair reputations makes more sense as a first story than the mask would be oh yeah for sure i, I think i agree there and it's to fair. the degree that they're connected uh i i it's interesting like the the setup that that helps provide just in terms of like mm-hmm. the tension, like you see that book come up, and you know something's gonna go wrong. It's not the same thing, but it it immediately right. like you know like makes your stomach sink a little bit. That's kind of how like I feel like Lovecraft tried to do that a bit with the Necronomicon. You know, it was always on a bookshelf in 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 some corner <laughs> in the stories. You know what I mean? But it didn't carry the same weight because it's kind of just like oh, there's the Necronomicon again. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have this like. Um, you know, we never get a glimpse of what's really in it. You know? Yeah. But that was... It, it does shift things to... Like, is the content of it scary? Like, is the things that it reveals scary? Or... Like, is it scary? I think a little of both. I mean, the Necronomicon never really scared me much. I, I never was curious as to what might be in it. Though this, I you know, you get those passages like mask, no mask, no mask. and you wonder, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like it's in terms of like this like mad allure, and it's not even right, and it's not even that it reveals something. It's more like it brings something out of you, which is a a more visceral concept. Right. Well, who knows where the where the other you know where acts the second act goes. How would you relate that um, sort of quote at the beginning of the mask to like what's actually contained in the short story? I can only think of like like very like surfacey kind of things, because the mask is brought up in terms Same. of in terms of Alec like hiding his pain about Genevieve choosing Boris over him. Well, he, he right. So he constantly has a save face. Yeah, and it's but not like right. not not in terms of great effort, just like he says at one point the mask is a part of him, and it's like only when he's alone that it comes off. Right. Which is like I mean, to me, it still sounds like there's a mask though. <laughs> so. Yeah, there's definitely so I don't know what this no mask businesses, right? Yeah. Oh. I don't know what this no mask businesses. Yeah, so like the direct thing, I guess, like just like to say the surfacey thing. Um, like the mask coming off is an is a point of like terror in the in mm-hmm. that little bit, and yeah, the mask coming off is like the pain of of rejection of unrequited love, like actually like um you y- you know affecting him, right? Uh, because it was like um. Like, 
it seemed like the thing that they all three had together was very beautiful. Like part of why he can carry on with the mask is because he has as much, you know, not a, oh, whatever. He has love for Boris, you know, not just Genevieve. Like they're not like they're romantic rivals, but they are great friends. Yeah, yeah they really in, are. In a word, it's it's a it's a thruple. Well, doesn't he dream of her? Doesn't he dream of her, her sort of like paralleled with that wolf, you know? Yes. I don't know. I, I, I was having a hard time interpreting that, but like maybe it's just supposed to show her as like um, sort of something next to something aggressive, you know, like something that uh, something hostile. And like I, she had tripped on the wolf before. And I don't know if like it made me assume I don't think I guess I don't say it, but it made me assume that when she fell into the pool, it was because she tripped on that wolf head probably. Was it? Oh, gosh. Well, they don't. They, huh. they just say that they found her in the pool, but they had shown her trip over it before. Right. I just wasn't sure how close these things were together. I, I'm, I'm imagining this like sprawling, you know, French like mansion or something. <laughs> yeah. Like I guess like you don't even need that. Just be, um, like just having her trip over the wolf would have been enough to make the association stick for for him. And it's like one of the last like. One of the last memories he has of her. Yeah, they describe the wolf like in like negative terms. I can't get over it. What was Boris thinking? <laughs> he's living with his girlfriend that he's aware of of tripping over this wolf before. And I. <laughs> he almost threw Alec in. Before, like he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna throw you in," and then he stops. Oh yeah, he's like, oh, I almost forgot. <laughs> How do you forget that? Yeah, I that was such an obvious Chekhov's gun. I was like, okay, somebody's going in there, huh? I mean, it was definitely Chambers playing with with us. Like, is gonna be Alec? No, no. <laughs> I knew it was coming for her. Once once she got feverish <laughs> and in that delirium, and yeah, I was wondering if it was gonna do something like she drank some of it. Ooh. When she was sick, I was wondering, like, oh, what if, it, like, what if she had, like, a partial exposure or something? Maybe, frankly, I thought um, Boris was going to snap. Oh, and push her in or something? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or had finally, you know, realized, oh, I can make the perfect Madonna with this. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like it would have been really easy to do that kind of narrative, but I, I, I'm kind of glad that they didn't, you know? <laughs> but there was room for that. Like... Right. Because what's the King in Yellow doing there? Yeah. Like, that could have been what happened, right? That, that That's one version of how things could have gone, is that Boris reads the King in Yellow, or like the King in Yellow gets to him, he throws her in. Like, this, I guess there's even room for it. I don't it doesn't feel right to the story, but there's even room for it, I guess. Where, in his madness, he throws her in, realizes what he's done, shoots himself in the chest. Right, right. It, but that's not what we get for some reason. It's I, I, Though I think it's better for that. Mm-hmm. It seems like with what we get, Alec had done something. Like, how how reliable is, is his conveyance of what he did during his fever is? Yeah, it seemed like he wasn't able to move. Like, it, like, like there's definitely room in in terms of like, like we don't know the you know 
how this book can affect you, but it seemed like he was like bedridden and we have the um what's his name? Uh Jack. Yeah, Jack Scott there who was like taking care of him. I I wonder what would the first time he fell asleep on, on that couch in, in the in the smoking room. That's when he I think that's when he reads the that's when he reads That's it. when he reads the King in Yellow. You think that mm-hmm. there's like some doubt thrown in? You think maybe he got deeper into the King in Yellow madness? Well, I I think it's like um I don't know. I, you know what I mean? So like if you smoke a cigarette, you're not addicted to cigarettes, but that cigarette was still really bad for you. Oh, just in terms of how much he read, how much that would have affected him. Like even if it wasn't the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, cuz he just got a fever. Right, right, right. Like, maybe that's what's being demonstrated is that it's kind of like, how much exposure do you have to this thing? Like, almost like it's radioactive or something, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, because he still has those dreams. And he says, like, he thought of the king in yellow in the pallid mask. God, all those descriptions, like, they really make you want to take a look at that king in yellow. Well... And I'll tell you what, I'm glad he doesn't do what Lovecraft does, where he just, like, hits it way too hard with, like, weird adjectives. Like, just saying the pallid mask is plenty, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, we don't need the undiscernible, the infinite. Yeah. (laughs) And there's things that return to, I think, like, a pallid mask or something like that. I think something like that comes up in Repair Reputations. It did. So, like, like I guess there's, like, aspects that like recur enough that it feels like a real document the reference to tattered robes oh, that's so cool like i i loved the idea of a book within a book just like hang around the fringes like there's just enough like the sto- this story wasn't about king in yellow like i guess you could you could you could pull out more if you want there is this spooky kind of quality about it but it shows up for a little bit and it just like gives this little just give a drop of flavor to everything else. It's just this little variable right. in this longer, I guess, equation going on. I I, I appreciate it for that too. I agree. But uh, yeah, but the the overall main course, like that, is a cool. That is a it, it is a neat flavor. I do like um, the sort of fairy tale romance aspect of it too. Like outside of King and Neil, if, if we had just read this story. It'd be a nice little story. Yeah, I I, I think so too. Um, I, I think it's really fitting with the. Uh, I like the aesthetic of it a lot. I I think that soft but also dark vibe is is sweet. Mm-hmm. Like the like the beautiful sadness of like these like perfectly rendered marble sculptures. Yeah, what was it? Their uh, their hearts kind of glow red, and then their veins kind of glow blue, mm-hmm. even while they're marble. I guess that should have been the surest sign that they were going to pop back to life eventually, but I, I didn't. I was like, oh, wow, that's trippy. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and, we're, and, like, the way, maybe just in the telling of it, or just in terms of, it's such a fantastical thing that you're just going to believe what you hear anyways. Like, you don't say, well, I know. Like, it's not something you know for a fact about people turned into marble. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Because I, well, I, I, I think marble I, does have streaks of blue in it does it not so i was like oh it's mm-hmm. it's interesting how that's like a um, an actual component of marble yeah and like something that you could write in in this way it does come out pink too there there's like a there there are colors to like mind marble it's not this pure white 
Even within the story, the room is described as pink marble. Oh. Except for the floor, which is, like, white and gray. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, like, so it's so something you can easily imagine, too, where, oh, so, okay, so this thing also makes that, that blue thing, those blue lines you see in marble sometimes, they happen in, you know, something about veins makes them come out that way. So did you guys have any final thoughts on uh, the books we read? The, the stories? Well, I'll say one final thought. I think we talked about it before, but I'm glad we read these as a pair. Especially especially The Mask, maybe just because of the order, but it, I'm glad it wasn't a standalone. I feel like uh, like they, the stories do talk to each other. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Now that I think about it, like not even just because of King and Yellow thing, there's also like weird love triangle in in both yeah though it's way less mutual in the first one <laughs> yeah it's way less mutual in the first one <laughs> I, I mean what's what's her name constance in the first one yep i mean she, mm-hmm. she cried tears over the over the crazy guy more just because he was insane i thought than because she loved him you know what i mean <laughs> right like, Constance was definitely not as much of a character as Genevieve was. Uh, like... For sure. Yeah, I, I, to the... Yeah, I, I'm sure, like, a big part of it is just the shock of the of the night. But, yeah, there's definitely yeah. affection for him. Even if it isn't romantic. I guess it's just hard, because she, right. she's so much less involved in... Yeah, it's hard to see her motives. I don't know. Yeah, the mask like I guess like leans more into it. Like they're a, they are a throuple, and like yeah, that story, that romance story, I can see his, I can see Chambers' future in that in this one. But the idea, good. oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, like, I actually I, thought I it was very sweet. Love... Like... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The 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 idea like this throuple, like this like this perfect trio. That's held together by there's also like a good tragedy to it where they're held together by this love going unspoken. And then by coincidence things unravel right after. Or not coincidence, destiny, who knows? It's kind of like there is no mask, you know? Because that thruple love that they have is super obvious. It's weird that by the time it's said that that's causes a break because everybody's aware of what's going on. You know, I, I there is no mask. I, I think in, in, in finality, I think that's correct. I, I will say, I mean, this is still a relatively early work for chambers, but I'm not sure Lovecraft is fair in, in, um, in his critique of chambers. Yeah. The, um... when, when he's like, Oh, smart guy that never, took his writing to full ability or took it in the wrong direction. Yeah, maybe, like, he just doesn't appreciate the his ability to write these gentle, like, love stories. Uh, the story, like, I'm, I don't know if you want to stay on this Chambers thing for next week. The story that uh, Lovecraft, men- like, actually mentions from Chambers is the yellow sign. So if we read the next two stories, then we'd, we'd hit that. Sounds like a plan. I, I, I'd be interested to see what the next two stories kind of push into. Well, that was Repairer of Reputations and The Mask. Certified fresh. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
no reservations, thumbs up for me. Like both of these stories. Yeah, I liked them a lot. Especially together, they they hit so so perfectly. Yeah, and and the mask is also a nice palate cleanser for the like the uncomfortable tragedy of repair reputations. Yeah, that's certainly true. Like a more beautiful type of tragedy, which which has like this like nice like transcendent happy ending, or you know, qualified happy ending. H- happier. Happier ending. <laughs> I still feel bad about Boris. Maybe he survived that gunshot. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that connection, <laughs> in which case it is definitely a happy ending. I think there's some evidence he might have. I don't know. I, I guess we'll never know what uh, Jack Scott was yeah, so upset about. What was he up to? Right. Oh, that's so cool. So I, I think that's it for Repair Reputations in the Mask. Join us next week. We're definitely going to be um, jumping back into Robert Chambers in the future. Right. Uh, you know it. So this has been, forgot the name of our own show, uh, this has been Pleasant Evenings Book Club, uh, signing out. My name's Roberto. This is Corbin. Thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, until like, next week. Until next week, don't forget to uh, subscribe, whatever we decide to do. And like. Follow and me. like. Yeah. Engage with us on the internet. Do we have socials yet? No. Awesome.